morning. We come and celebrate on this Easter morning because of the life and the death and the resurrection that Jesus did. And as this morning, as we've talked about uh, many different aspects of that, just sitting there and singing that last song, We Will Rise. And hearing that day where there will be no more sorrow and no more pain, I began to cry. To think about all that stuff that he went through in order that one day, we may have a day, that no longer will there be sorrow and no longer will there be pain. What an awesome blessing we have received from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? As you see, um, the title of my sermon today is uh, God's Not Dead and Neither Are We. And many of you people uh, who have seen the title of this sermon approached me and asked me if I had seen the movie God's Not Dead. And I'm sure many of us have seen uh, the movie in here this morning. So I'm going to say, apart from the movie, that many of us are probably familiar with. And it was the uh, black gentleman in the movie who kept saying it. And he says, God is good all the time. God is good. And how true does that ring this morning? I, I love it. And uh, it's, it's really strange because, and you can ask Alex this, but um, me and Alex never swapped notes, never looked at anything. We didn't, we didn't try to plan accordingly. But what, a, what Alex shared on uh, Thursday here at the service, if you were here, fit right into my sermon. And then what Alex shared this morning fit right into my sermon. So it's kind of just been this one big message that's God preparing for us. And, you know, we could sit here and say, oh, what a coincidence, but it's not a coincidence. God prepared this one big sermon for us, and he spread it over a big amount of time. And I just love how he does that in every aspect of what we do. Um, but you know what? And it, when I got this message of, you know, when I was approached of preaching this Easter Sunday, uh, I kept questioning, what, what, is, what is it I could preach about? I could talk about the resurrection of God. I could talk about how Jesus died and he rose again on this day. And then... Those three words came to my mind. God's not dead. And I thought to myself, well, that's a pretty simple message. That's a pretty simple message. I mean, th- that's why we celebrate Easter, isn't it? Because God is not dead. He rose. He rose into heaven. But then the more I thought about it, I thought about what a perfect message, though. What a perfect message. Simple, but yet perfect for all of us, believers or not believers. It's a simple message, but it rings true to our lives in every aspect of which we live. And this morning, I hope that you can leave here understanding that not only is God not dead, but neither are we. Because He rose and because He died, He gives us a chance to become alive too. In Him, we are alive. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to be reading out of Romans 6 this morning. And I wasn't for sure what message, what particular scripture would go with this this morning. And then I just rang true to Romans 6. And if for any of you guys who have went through uh, the DTP class in the last quarter or are going through it now, a lot of you guys could come up and recite this, Romans 6. It was a requirement that we memorize this particular passage that I'm going to be preaching over this morning. But because I don't want to embarrass you, I will not have you come up and recite it. And because I do not want to embarrass myself, I will be reading it out of the Bible as well. So, if you guys uh, have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans 6. We're going to be going through chapters, or chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. So, if you would stand with me and we'll read this. 
Romans 6, verse 1, down to 14. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has not been, free, not been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you just now, and we just thank you. Lord, we are so blessed to come here this morning, Father God, and celebrate the life that you lived, the death that you died, and the life that you have arose from, Father God. Lord, we thank you that because of that that you did for us, Father God, we stand here today, Lord, with assurance, knowing that we will rise once again with you. And Lord, I just thank you this morning for this message that you have for us, Father God. Lord, I just thank you for the word that you've given us, Father, that you have the instructions to our lives, Lord, the way we are to live. And Lord, I just thank you once again that you give us a chance to live, live a life that is not for ourselves, but to bring glory to you, God. Lord, I just uh, pray that the, our hearts be open this morning and our ears be open to what you have for us, God. Lord, let us take this message, Father, and apply it to our everyday lives, Father, and bringing you glory in everything we do. In your heavenly name we pray, amen. Now, if you have your message notes, I've kind of broke this down into four different sections in Romans 6. I, we talk about the death, we talk about the resurrection, the life, and then the challenge. Paul gives us every step of Jesus' life in this, just this little bit of uh, verses here in chapter 6. And the thing that I love about this Romans chapter 6 is, yeah, it tells the story of Jesus, but at the same time... It shows us being a part of every step of the way he went. We were a part of every single step. So first of all, the death. And as we looked in, uh, you know, in the death in verses 1 through 4, I want to go back and look at Luke. And I think it's appropriate to go back and look at, look at Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to 49. Luke chapter 3, verses 44 to 49. And it's the death of Jesus. It says, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw that he had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. All the crowds that had reassembled 
for this spectacle when they saw that had taken place returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. In Luke, we see the last moments of Jesus' life. And as the video that we showed, um, it just, sometimes we don't realize the, the pain and the agony and all the things that Jesus went through just for us. And it's funny because whenever I think of this story, I have a series of emotions that just comes over me. I experience all these different emotions in the same order every single time I hear the story of Jesus dying. And the first emotion that I experience is sadness. And the reason I experience sadness is because we, as believers, we see the story of Jesus Christ and we understand that Jesus was innocent. And he did nothing to deserve this death. Everything he did was according to the scriptures, according to what God had told him to do. And we saw that he had done no wrong, so I'm sitting here sad that somebody that we hold up so high in Jesus was crucified and murdered. And when we see uh, uh, what we had here this morning, we see the, the pain that he went through, and it saddens me. But then after that sadness comes my anger. And the anger that I have is towards the people that murdered Jesus. I'm sitting there thinking, what are you doing? This is an innocent man, and you killed him. You beat him, you hung him on a cross. What are you people doing? That was unfair. And I start to get mad at the people in the Bible for doing this. But then soon after that anger comes my shame and humility. Because I realize that it was not them who had hung Jesus on the cross. But it was me. It was us. Our sin was the reason that Jesus was on the cross. That sin we committed yesterday, that sin that we committed this morning, or we're going to commit in the future, that sin is what hung Jesus on the cross. He had to die that death because of the sin that we have committed. And I start to feel that shame upon myself, wondering, why would I do that to Jesus? And then the next series comes, and it's my favorite emotion that I have when reading this story, and that's the, series of, that's the emotion of joy. The joy that I get to know that I have somebody out there who loves me enough that he would die and take the punishment for me. It was funny this week. I'm doing my uh, student teaching over at Lena Dunn, and uh, we've had all this snow and all this weather, so we uh, were trying to make up days, so we went to school on Friday. We went to school on Good Friday. And we had a lot of problems, and I told him it was probably because we went to school on Good Friday. But, um, you know, I, 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 I was, you know, I wish that I could have stayed in bed. If you know me, I'd like to sleep in, and if I'd have got a day off, that would have probably been nice every once in a while. But we went to school, and I was trying to think to myself, what was going to happen this day? I, I like to think about what is God going to put before me that I can, you know, minister to somebody this day. And it happened. The very first group, I have, I have different groups that come in. I have a group of first graders come in. And this little boy, he's just, I mean, he's real little. And he, he, he's always that guy that's asking questions. He's just always asking questions. And the first question that he asked me was, he said, Mr. Schwarzenegger, or Mr. Truber, they don't call me Schwarzenegger, they call me Mr. Truber. I don't know, I just let it go. <laughs> uh, but he says, Mr. Truber, he goes, why is it called Good Friday? And I said, well, why do you ask that? And he said, well, they call it Good Friday, but, we, but on this day Jesus died. How is that good? How is that good that Jesus died, and why do we celebrate that? That's not good. Well, I said, I said and right then, I, I just lit up. I thought, you know, I'm not supposed to be talking about this in school, but if they're asking questions, I can answer them. I can answer them. 
So I said, okay, well, I said, the reason we call it Good Friday is because when Jesus died, he saved a bunch of people. In his death, a bunch of people were saved. And he didn't understand that. And like I said, this kid loves asking questions. Sometimes it's annoying, but sometimes it's good. And he says, well, what were they saved from? And I said, they were saved from the punishment. And I said, have you ever made bad choices in your life? Yeah, yeah, I've made, I've made bad choices, you know. You know, they're probably not as bad as what we think, but, he, you know, he thought they were bad choices. And I said, well, sometimes when we make bad choices, we call those sin. And I said, when we sin, Jesus died on the cross, so therefore we didn't have to face the punishment of that sin. No longer is there punishment. Well, of course, his next question is, so does that mean I don't have to walk at recess for my punishment? <laughs> I said, no, 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 that, that's not the punishment that we're talking about here. And I said, it's the punishment of death. And the whole time I'm talking, he's just right there, focused in on me. And before I could, I could uh, get to the point where, you know, I was going to ask him, you know, if Jesus was in his life, he ran off. But I know that in that moment, he was wondering. He was thinking about these things. And here's me, who'd rather be sleeping in on Good Friday, but I'm going to school and being presented with a little first grader asking about Jesus. And asking about why he died. I thought, what a blessing that is. What a blessing that is to to be a part of somebody's life that you can minister to. And the thing was, I I think he went through this whole series of emotions that I went through. Just in that short amount of time. You could tell. You could tell he went through that. But then I started talking, and the more I started thinking about it, and I started doing this sermon, I, said, you know, I started thinking, we t- I told him about the sin, and how that's a barrier. You know, the reason that Jesus had to die is because there was a barrier between us and God, and that barrier was our sin. And if you ever read the book, Respectable Sins, I highly, highly, highly uh, recommend it. It's by Jerry Bridges. It talks about, it goes into the hatred that God has for sin. Sometimes we don't understand how much God despises sin. Because whenever we get into that moment where we can sin, in that moment we have two choices. We have that choice of sinning, and we have that choice of obeying God. So in that moment we have two choices that we're making. We're either choosing sin or we're choosing God. And our God is a jealous God, amen? And He wants us to be a part of everything we do to be the glory to Him. So if we're having two choices and we choose sin over Him, why wouldn't He be upset? And Jesus knew that we would never... We would never get over that. Because Adam had sinned, we were born with this sinful nature. And Jesus knew that we would never, in our own, choose God over our sin. So he knew that the only thing he could do was go, come down to earth, live a perfect life, and die on the cross, the perfect sacrifice, so that now, when God looks down upon us, he no longer sees our sinful self, but he sees the blood of Christ that has covered us, and he sees us as being perfect. But as we talk about sin and I talk about how we sometimes fall in love with our sin, don't we? And we like to sin. Sometimes sinning is fun. You know, that's just our nature. When we sin, it's a lot of time to get our own selfish gain a lot of times. So when Paul's talking here, and I love this because it's so true, and I think if Paul would came and give this, this same message today that he's giving in Romans, he's talking about the grace of God and how the grace of God covers us and how it's abundant and how we can, we, it's unlimited, it's to us all the time. 
he addresses the question that's probably going through these people's minds that would probably be going through our minds today if Paul was here giving the same sermon. And it says, so what's how we say then? Are we, con- are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul addresses that question. You know, a lot of times if we're sitting up here or we're teaching or we're talking to somebody, we can sometimes kind of read their mind, just that look they're giving us. You know, we can kind of tell what they're thinking. And I think that's what Paul was doing here. He was giving this, and he's talking about this grace and how, you know, no matter how much sin you commit, God's grace will cover it all the time. And he sees the loophole in his message almost. And he ties that loophole up. He ties that loose end up. And he answers it here. By no means. By no means. Shall we keep on sinning? Why? Because we have died to Christ. Christ had died, therefore we die to Christ, we die to sin. Once we die to sin, we become a new person. And we'll talk about that in the later verses. But because Christ died to sin, we die to sin as well. 1 Peter 3.18, if you want to go there real quick, it gives us a perfect example of this. I love this verse. 1 Peter 3.18. And it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. That is exactly what he did for us. Therefore, since we are with him in his death, we too died to sin, and we sin no more. Now, does that mean that we're not going to sin anymore? No. But because we have died, once you accept Jesus into your life, you have accepted the death that he had died for you, and you start living a life that is pleasing to him, and his, his grace covers you. But we try to become less and less sinful every day. Now, we'll have our days where we'll have a whole slew of sin, and we'll have our days where we think we do pretty good. But in retrospect, we are sinners. We're going to sin. But because of what we saw up here this morning, because of what we talked about all week, we no longer have to serve that punishment for sin. Now, if you go down to uh, verse uh, 5 and 7, it talks about the next aspect of Jesus' life, and that is his resurrection. And that's what we celebrate here today. We talk about, we, how many times have we we've talked about God rising? Jesus died, but he rose. And if we look in Luke chapter 24, and I think Alex read this this morning, Verses 1 through 12, it says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood before them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the th- and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to come to them as an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This, this is typical Peter. Typical Peter. And I love it because I think that this is how some of us would act today. If somebody came and told us, you know, this man that they had been following, they, have, they had left everything in their lives to follow Jesus, 
He died. And it's just like we talked about this morning on the, the walk to Emmaus. They were down. They were depressed. And whenever they told of Jesus being risen, man, they're just kind of like, yeah, okay, that's not, that's, that's, that's not, that's not funny. We're, we're depressed. We're down about it. But Peter, he wasn't like that. Peter jumps out of his seat and full-out sprints to the tomb. And I like to think that's how, that's how I would be. I like to think that's how I would be, but at the same time, I think, well, maybe I would have doubted as well. Because that just doesn't happen all the time. That somebody dies and then they rise up. But Peter didn't. Peter ran. But as we go back into Romans 6, verse, 7, it ta- verse 5 and 7, it tells about how the resurrection affects us. And it says, For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be reunited with him in a resurrection like this. This word united here in the Greek is sumphutos. Sumphutos. I think that's how you say it. I don't know. That's what I, that's what I got written down here, so we'll go with that. But uh, this sumphutos word meant to grow along with or to be planted with. And I thought, what a perfect picture. What a perfect picture. Because it shows that we were planted with Jesus. We grew with Jesus. He went through this death, therefore we experienced that death. He went through the resurrection, therefore we will rise. He lived a life, therefore we will live a life according to him. We are planted and united with him through the entire process. And it truly shows, it truly shows that Jesus did all of this stuff for us. I'm going to go ahead and, I'm sure most of you have seen God's Not Dead, but if you haven't, go see it, all right? Kendall hasn't seen it, but in Bible study, we pretty much told him how the whole movie went. And I'm probably, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to do that this morning. But there is a certain part in there where the, where the main character is talking to his class. And he's talking about Jesus has died on the cross. And he talks about how he died for our sins. And I didn't even catch this the first time. And Eric pointed it out to us at our Bible study the other day. And I thought, how true does this sound? The guy pointed at somebody in his class, and he said, even if it was for, just for you, he would have done it. Even if it was just for you, he would have died on that cross. Now let's let that soak in a little bit. Because sometimes I think we think that, yeah, Jesus died to save all, all these people. You know, he did a great thing because it benefited everybody. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, that he loves you so much that if it would have just had to be him dying for you, he would have done it. That's how much he loves and cares for each of us, individually as individuals. You may think that you're the most rotten person on the face of the earth, but Jesus died for you if you accept him into your life. And he would have done it if it would have just been for you. Those, those touched me. That made me feel good to know Jesus, this almighty, powerful God, died on the cross just for me. Just for me. All the sins that I've committed, he did that just for me. He came down on earth. I don't think people realize that. He came down onto earth. Jesus, who's seated at the right-hand throne of God, decided that he was going to come down to earth. Now, I'm sure you guys feel the same way I do. There are days where I just wish I wasn't living on this earth. That sometimes this earth just is too bad. And I just, it, it, it sickens me to see how this earth acts. And how we act as people. And how, you know, we see, you know, we go through sickness. 
We go through pain. We go through heartache. And sometimes you just wish, man, I just wish I could just go to heaven where all this stuff would be gone. Jesus, who was a part of that, decided to come down and live with us and suffer the same things that we as humans suffered. And we forget that a lot of times. Jesus came down and was fully human as he was fully God. So Jesus suffered the same stuff that we suffer today. Jesus had to eat. Jesus had to drink. Jesus suffered temptation. You know, Jesus got tired. He had to sleep. He had the same bodily functions that we have. And yet he chose to come down here and live here. That shows true servanthood. That shows true love, that he would leave the perfect place that was in heaven to come down here to earth just for us. But then, once he came, he died and he arose. And when Jesus arose, he became a new spirit, is what they say in the word. Jesus arose and became a new spirit. And Jesus was fully God again. And I think that's exactly what it comes down to. When we die to our sin, we rise up and we're made anew. 2 Corinthians verses five, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 17 says, the, new, the old has gone and the new has come. And it's talking about us there. It's talking about when we die to sin, we are to rid ourselves of our old sinful self. And we are to become a new person in Christ. Once you accept Jesus into your life, people should see a difference in your life. They should see a new you. Now, when this new you is not going to be perfect, but it should be somebody who lives a life according to what God has planned for them and according to what God has wrote in the Scriptures. It should be different than the life we were led before. And that's how Jesus was. Jesus came and he lived a life, and when he died, he was a new spirit. And he was fully God once again. There's freedom. Freedom that we only find in Jesus Christ, in that resurrection, in that death. And remember that we are in his death with him. And we are in the resurrection with him in order that we may be saved. Verses 8 through 10, it talks about uh, the result or the life that Jesus lived. And I, I love this because we talk about the death, we talk about the resurrection, but a lot of times we forget to talk about the life that Jesus lived. He spent 33 years here on earth living a life that was pretty good. Pretty good that he didn't cut it. I mean, he was, it was amazing how the life that he lived. And he gives us the, the example of how we are to live. And the, the part that I love is right, right, right before Jesus leaves his disciples for the last time, he says this, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. And I got after Eric for reading this last Sunday because I told him I was going to do it this Sunday, but it's okay. We can read it again. And it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Now, I've been a coach for the last four years. In baseball and basketball. And when I read this, the first thing that comes back to me is, okay, this is Jesus' pregame speech to his disciples. And sometimes, I love giving pregame speeches. All right? I get my guys in the huddle, and I, I don't know what hat comes over me, but I feel like I'm Coach Normandale, and we're about to go for the state title, and I just give these guys the biggest 
best speech ever, and I just feel like they're going to run out there, and they're going to just be ready to go, and we're going to be, we're going to be awesome. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, all right? But the other day, I was sitting there, and we had our baseball guys in a huddle, and I'm sitting there giving the speech, and, you know, I'm getting pumped. I can see the players. They're just bouncing up like this, and I put our hands, and I say, go, and the next thing I know, Coach Winkler's running out to the field. I think I got him motivated, all right? And he say, he, he always comes up to me, and he laughs at me, and he says, you know what? He goes, sometimes you go and give those talks, and you've got me ready to play baseball. And I said, I said, well, that's good. I said, but I am nowhere near, nowhere near the motivational speaker that Jesus was. I feel like if I'm a disciple, and I, I hear these words, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them in the way that I have taught you. I mean, I'd be sitting there, I'm like, let's go, let's go, Jesus, get away, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to do this. And he tells us right there, do this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus do? Jesus baptized people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus taught the Word of God. That is our job as Christian believers. He has given us our pregame speech. Yeah, he's talking to the disciples here, but people, he's talking to us as well. He's telling us that we need to get up, and we need to go out, and we need to start doing these things that he's asking his disciples to do. And sometimes I think we forget that. But then the last part, the reason I think we forget that is because sometimes we get scared. Sometimes we're a little nervous to go out and start doing these things because of maybe how we look. Maybe we don't think we're equipped enough. Alex talked about this morning, and I loved it, how he said, you know, sometimes we don't think... Sometimes we don't think we know this as well as we should. You know, and sometimes we don't, we don't think that we're, you know, I'm, oh, I'm not the best speaker. I, just, I don't know. I'll just go up to somebody. I'll just clam up and maybe I'll tell them the wrong thing and that'll turn them away. And guys, I'm here to tell you right now, this last part, this last part, I think we leave out of the Great Commission so many times. And it is the main focus behind it. It's the main push behind it. And he says, and be sure of this. And he even tells them. He stops his, his pregame speech. He t- stops his pregame speech to tell them this. He pauses. Make sure you're listening here. That's, what he's, that's basically what he's saying. Hey, pay attention. If you didn't get anything, make sure you know this. And he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always, always to the end, to the end of the age. Now, how can we as believers in Christ ever feel like we are unequipped Ever feel like we are not worthy enough? Or maybe we're not educated enough? Or we don't have the right materials? How can we ever think that whenever he tells us that I am with you always? If he is with us, who could be against us? He, we find our strength in him. We find our power in him. We find our wisdom in him. He will supply us with everything we need. We just have to be willing to use these things right here and go. And use this thing right here and talk. If we do that, if we're willing vessels for Jesus, he will work through us in everything that we do. And I think that it's perfect because we're talking about the life. And if you look back on Jesus' life, it's, it was perfect. It was perfect in every way because Jesus did exactly what he told his disciples to do. In our Bible study on uh, Thursday night, we have a Bible study at Thursday night, 8 o'clock, plug in, anybody wants to come, Thursday night at my house, 8 o'clock, um, but we have a Bible study, and last Thursday we were talking about, we were talking a little bit about this, 
and we start getting into uh, people in our lives that we have looked up to, and people in our lives that have really set an example for us in order to how we were to live our lives. You know, some of the guys mentioned some of the people in their life that they look up to and that they've modeled their life after and that they've, you know, just looked at and been like, oh, okay, well, this guy, this guy's pretty good. I want to follow him. And um, I didn't know he was going to be here this morning, but I'm going to throw his name out. I, I mentioned my Uncle Marv. And uh, I said, you know, just going through my life as a little kid, I thought two things. I thought Jesus never sinned, and I thought Marv Chicken never sinned. I will be flat out honest with you. I will be honest with you. <laughs> Lou's shaking her head. <laughs> but the more and more that I watched Marv as a, as a young adult and uh, you know, a kid and growing up into where I am now, I have learned from him. I have seen a life lived that I feel like is worthy to God. And, you know, more, the more I talk to Marv and the more I've, uh, he's told me things, and I won't get into the stuff he's told me about what he did, but, you know, he sinned, I'll tell you that, all right? But, uh, you know, we, we've all done it. We've all done it. And the people, that were mentioned, uh, the people that were mentioned in our Bible study, they talked about the same people and how they talked about how, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I thought these guys were perfect, and then they started telling me this stuff. And I love that we have examples here on earth that we can look up to. And Marv's not the only example I have. I can look out here and look at many of you guys and think to myself, what an example they are to me. And, uh, you know, uh, Shady was with us the other day too, and Shady made a comment where he said, you know what, we sit and talk about these people in our lives that have been examples for us. And you know what, maybe somewhere, some people are talking the same way about us. Maybe we're, maybe I'm an example to some of the kids that I coach. Maybe I'm an example to some of the people that I teach. Maybe I'm an example to some of you. You know, maybe you are an example to somebody that you had no idea that you were an example to. And if we are molding our lives around the ultimate example, which is Jesus Christ, we can be examples for others. But I think ultimately we need to wrap our wrap our lives around the example that Jesus left for us. We need to start acting like Him. We need to start talking like Him. We need to start thinking like Him. Because one way you can turn people to Jesus is by acting in a way that Jesus acts. And they see that different way of living. Because sadly, not many people live a life that lined up with Jesus. Sadly, some of us don't live a life that comes in line with Jesus. Now, are we ever going to become perfect like Jesus was? No, probably not, until we go to heaven. But in every aspect of my life, I always look to the highest example, and I strive to be the best for that example. In basketball, I tell my guys, I said, you know, I tell them, my junior high kids, I say, watch the varsity guys. Watch the varsity basketball players. I said, watch how they act. Watch how they play. Because ultimately, we want to be the best. We want them to play like them. They are setting the example for us. In baseball, I tell our guys, watch the varsity guys. We had a practice the other day where our practice basically consisted of our guys sitting there watching the varsity play and being an example to them on how they play. And that's what I think we need to do as Christians. 
we need to sometimes sit back and just read the Word of God and listen and look how Jesus lived his life. And we need to start molding our lives around to that, acting in a way that he acted, talking in a way that he talked. And ultimately, I think once we do that, we can live a life that will be a, basically a way of getting the gospel out to other people. You know, the saying, the saying goes, you know, preach the gospel at all time, and if necessary, use words. That's what it's talking about, living an example to God, living a life that falls accordingly to the gospel, knowing that nothing that you do is because of you, but because of the grace of God that has been extended to you, the blessings of God that he's given you. I'm going to finally uh, end with the challenge that Paul gives us in verses 12 to 14. And he says, uh, right here, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. What he's talking about here is he's basically telling us to not let sin have control of our lives. How many times have we let sin control our lives? We, we work our schedule around our sin. You know, and when we... When, we not, when we're not sinning, we're molding our lives around so we can cover that sin up. Isn't that how we work sometimes? And basically, before we know it, we are revolving our life around sin, and we're living our life based on that sin. That sin has got us chain, a ball and chain at the back of our leg, and every time we're going somewhere, that sin's just following us around. Well, Paul tells us right here that we are not to do that. Sometimes we become so wrapped up or entangled in our sin. And if you remember the message I brought back in October, I read, uh, you know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and it talks about the sin that so easily entangles us. That's what Paul's referring to right here. Do not let sin have reign over you. Do not let it have control over you. Because we have died, I love the term, born again. We have died to sin and we are born again. When we are born again, and, you know, we have many babies in here, when they're born, they are new bodies. They are new bodies. And just like them, we are Christians, when we die to sin, we are born again with new bodies. Bodies that are not controlled by sin, but bodies that are controlled by God. And we need to act that way in everything that we do. We need to be willing to do what is righteous for God in order to further his kingdom. Throwing away that sin, throwing that sin off. In verse 14... It says, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. No dominion over us. And when I think of dominion, I think of, I think of this, I mean, okay, uh, you guys are probably tired of my sports analogies, but I love sports, and it's just how I think. But I think dominion, I think of this big old seven-foot center coming in, and this little, you know, six-foot Two guard trying to guard this big seven foot. He just has dominion over him. I mean, you can post him up and just look right over top of him. He has dominion over him. And sometimes I think that that's what our sin can do. We can't handle the big seven foot sin because here we are, just this little six two guard trying to guard the center. And sometimes we let him go over us. But no longer are we under that law, but we're under grace. We're under grace. That grace, I guess, in the basketball terms, would be that switch. That defensive switch that you get, where you get that 6'10 guy over here guarding this 7-footer. All right? 
and we've got God coming over, and He's taking control of that sin, and He's handling that sin, and He's making it less and less in our lives. So it can no longer have dominion over us. On our own, we are left to die and suffer the punishment for the sins we have committed. But Christ died on the cross, and raising from the dead, we are now free from that sin. We are now free from that sin. Can we say we are free? We are free. We are free indeed. And that abundant and amazing grace that God has blessed us with allows us to do that. So in closing today, um, like I said, I titled this sermon, God's Not Dead and Neither Are We. And the reason I say that is because when, as we go back, we have died with Christ in His death. We have raised with Christ in His resurrection. Therefore, since He lives, we live in Him. And we are no longer dead. Romans uh, 6 tells us of all that stuff and how we are supposed to start acting in a way that is pleasing to Him. And my challenge to you guys is that we become alive here today. We wake up from this dead state that we're in. Some of us are dead Christians. And the way we act is, you know, we're okay with being saved and we're okay with, you know, you know coming to church on Sunday. And, you know, we're okay with all that. But people, it's time that we start becoming alive in Christ and we start doing the things that Jesus was telling us to do in that last pregame speech. He's given us our pregame speech. It's time that we go out and we perform. And the ways that we perform, we start spreading the gospel everywhere we, everywhere we are. Whether it's by living it out or speaking it. We have to be able to spread the gospel. The second thing we have to do in order to be alive is we need to start living our life in everything we do, bringing glory to God and not to ourselves. And I tell you what, I'm probably the, one of the biggest issues in my life is giving glory to God in things that I do. I love receiving praise. And a lot of times I let it get here and my head gets this big before I realize it. And sometimes I have to sit back and realize, Josh, you're not doing any of this. God has blessed you with these things. It's about time you start doing things for Him, using those gifts to glorify Him. And I'm telling you what, guys, if we come alive to Christ and we start spreading that gospel and we start sharing that story that we heard here this morning of the death, the resurrection, and now the life that we get, I tell you what, and I can, get, I can promise you this with 100% guarantee, it will not fail. And that's not me talking that's this talking. And what I want everybody to do, I want you to turn to this, I want you to turn to this passage. Isaiah 55, verse 11. I want everybody to turn there. Because what I want is I want you guys, whenever you think that something's not working or that w- what you say to this person is not going to be able to change them, I want you to turn back to this verse. Isaiah 55, verse 11. And I'm going to read it out of the NIV version because I like how they word it a little better. And it says... It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always, not sometimes, always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Never once, never once has the gospel been shared to somebody and it not produced fruit in their life. You may not see it. You may not see it. But if you present the gospel to somebody, it will produce fruit somewhere. Maybe not in your lifetime, 
Maybe you never see it. But it tells us right here in Isaiah that if we just come alive in Christ and we start living the life that he tells us to and we start speaking the gospel that he's presented to us, great things will happen. Fruit will be born. You know, it may not be that person that spreads it. It may have been somebody that was sitting next to you that you weren't even talking to that heard you saying that, and it's going to happen. But his word will never return void. So don't be afraid to share it. We as believers are responsible for getting this word out. And the reason we're responsible is because God's not dead, and neither are we. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you just now, Lord, and Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this message, Father, that you've given us, Lord. Lord, the message of the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Coming down to earth, Father, and living a life so perfect, Father, so perfect for an example for us, God. Lord, and then dying a death that was worthy to be saved, Lord, that we can be saved through his death. That no longer does our sin have dominion over us, Father God. But because of the death that he died for us, Lord, we are covered by the blood. And our sins are washed white as snow, Father God. And when you look down upon us, you see a newborn child, Father God, in you. And Lord, we also thank you for what we celebrate today in the resurrection, God. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection that Jesus had, Father God. So we know that he is alive. And he is with us, just like he says in Matthew 28. He will always be with us to the end of the ages. Lord, we thank you for that resurrection of Jesus, Father God. And we also thank you for the resurrection of ourselves, Father. Lord, that once we were dead, we were alive in you, God. And Lord, I just ask you right now, Father God, that you challenge us. Lord, that we take this challenge that Paul gives us here in Romans 6, Father, and we go and live it out. That we are no longer dead and stagnant Christians, Father God, that we become alive in you, Father God. You are not dead, so why do we have to be? Lord, but because you live, we live too. Bringing the glory to you in everything we do. And Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity that you've given all of us to live that life. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, if there's somebody in here, Father God, who has never heard this message before. Lord, I pray that that they hear this message and they are transformed by it, God. And I know that fruit will be produced, Father God, because you promised that in Isaiah 55. Lord, I ask that you touch their hearts, Father God. And you send somebody their way, Lord, to share the gospel story with them and pray the prayer that allows you to come into their life. Lord, we thank you and we love you so much for everything that you've done for us, Father God, and the love that you share us. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen.